Welcome to Boiling Point. The New South Wales government introduced shark nets to Sydney's beaches in 1937. They promised to protect swimmers and surfers from shark attacks, but that's not what they do. Shark nets are a serious case of false labelling. They don't protect people, but cause a serious threat to the conservation status of sharks and other marine species. We are revisiting the ongoing campaigns on banning shark nets in just a moment. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. Your hosts today are Dom. Hello. And Kat. And our guests today are activists in the campaign to ban shark nets in New South Wales and Queensland. Duncan Hoyer is the founder of the initiative Saving Norman. And our second guest is Andre Borrell. Um, he's the founder of en the Envoy Foundation and the director of the documentary Envoy Shark Hull. In the next 30 minutes, we will chat about what shark nets are, what they do, and what they fail to do, and how the current campaigns are fighting to get those nets out of the water. Welcome to the show, Duncan and Andre. Nice to hey, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Duncan and Andre, I ask you both to start with, um, please give us a brief overview of what shark nets are and what they do. Shark nets were first uh, deployed in 1937 in New South Wales uh, and then a couple of decades later in Queensland. What they essentially are is a net that's designed to trap and entangle sharks. And looking at DPI's own way that they refer to the shark nets, in their own research, the way they describe it as a fishing activity that involves the placement of nets on the beaches to protect the public from sharks. And the theory behind it, or the reason they deployed them was that at the time they believed that sharks were resident and didn't travel large amounts of distance. So the theory was if they put these beaches on the nets where there were bathers, it would kill all the sharks in the area and there won't be any attacks. They're not designed as a barrier and a lot of people think they are. And by calling, we refer to them as shark nets, DPI actually refers to them as their meshing program, which is a fishing activity. For those people who still don't fully know what the shark nets look like, do you want to um, briefly sum this up? So when, when we hear shark net, then on, originally when I heard about it first, I also thought like, oh, aren't those the really handy nets around the beaches that um, make sure we have like a little swimming pool area and nothing can come in? I think uh, I think that's how most of the general public think about that uh, about what the nets are. Uh, they picture a barrier, they picture an enclosure in their head, in their head, and they think sharks out there, people in here, everyone's happy, everyone's safe, and that's just not what they are at all. They're comically small. They are very, very not very long at all. In New South Wales, they're only about 150 meters long, and they're not as deep as the water is. You know, they're only they're only four or five meters tall. These nets, and they're set in uh, they're set in about double that of water. So they're, they're, they're comically small. They are literally there, as, as Duncan said, they're a fishing device. They're there to hopefully entangle and kill things based on outdated methodology that we can kill resident white sharks, basically, that kind of, that kind of thinking. So uh, they make no sense and they're comically small. The best way to picture it, uh, and, and this is roughly to, to scale, is playing tennis with a table tennis net. That's roughly the coverage you're getting on your average size beach, your normal size beach uh, to your, your normal size net. So they are so far from what people think they are, which is a barrier that they are. When you get out there in the water and you dive along them and you look at them, you can't help but laugh. They're a joke. 
so they're, they're more like a curtain um, hanging in the water than an actual net that, that encloses it. So the webbing is, isn't, um, isn't tight enough for animals to swim into it and bounce off. It's specifically designed that they would partially get through it and get caught. And so it catches everything from turtles, dolphins, rays, loads of species of harmless sharks, the occasional uh, targeted species of shark. Whales get entangled in them every year. Um, they're incredibly destructive and they, they, they have a harm um, mortality rate. So most of the things that get trapped in there will eventually die before the nets get cleared. I think, I think in New South Wales, they're required to check them every 72 hours. So if something's there that should be swimming and is not, mammals almost have a 100% mortality rate. Every mammal that's, you, you don't rescue mammals out of those things. Um, occasionally, some sharks will get let go, but by and large, it kills what it catches. Yeah, I want to point out two things here. First, um, Andre, like your analogy with the table tennis net, I love that. That is a I find it a really good way to imagine them. So um, yeah, it is. That's a very ridiculous image. So if we reflect that on the shark nets, then I think that gives a pretty good idea. And the other thing is, Duncan, what you said earlier about um, that in the 1930s, people thought that sharks are residents and they don't move around much. I think that gives you also gives you a good idea that back then we didn't know or people didn't know anything about sharks, right? They had no idea what they did, how they behaved. And um, that's what the shark net technology is based on, right? So um, it's yeah. also the way silly that now we know so much more. So we should definitely update our technologies accordingly. Yeah, I was blown away when I did some research into it because I wanted to understand people today think it's a barrier. What did people think when the nets were deployed in the thirties? And so I dug on on trove.com and it gives you access to all historical newspapers um, and typed in shark nets. And I um, filtered the search by that era. And it was interesting that Koji actually had a barrier net that they deployed a proper barrier net where it's anchored into the sand and things can't swim through it. And the public didn't like it. They thought it looked terrible and it also kept breaking in the swell. So they have deployed these like safety enclosures in harbor beaches or beaches where there's no swell, but out in the open ocean, um, they, they chose to, to go with the meshing program. And when you read the newspaper articles describing the success rates of those articles, um, you realize that they knew they were there to kill. The other thing which is interesting, you and this what made me think of this is when you spoke about how little we knew then. We now know that grey nurse shark, for example, the critically endangered shark um, in our waters, that when they were reporting on the catch of these sharks back in the 30s, they were catching dozens every month. And the, the write-ups would say something like, we've just saved 200 sharks, potential sharks in the area because they were catching pregnant females. And at the time, they didn't know that grey nurse sharks only give birth to two pups at most. So they would catch these pregnant sharks, find loads of little babies in the stomach and think that they've now taken dozens and dozens of sharks out the ocean. Just shows how little we knew then, but then we're still deploying this technology today. And it's really sad. So we basically concluded there are fraudulent labeling in a way. So they don't do what they promise. They kill sharks and other marine life. So I guess the question then is if they don't, um, if they don't protect people um, who swim in, in the ocean, who um, are at the beach, why does the state governments, uh, why do the state governments still hold on to keeping them? 
Look, it's 100% a political decision, a political problem. They are there for political cover and for covering political backsides. That is the only reason they're there. If you listen, if you talk to the DPI, you know, behind closed doors, Department of Primary Industries who run these nets, they know they don't work. If you talk to the local councils, they don't want them. If you talk to lifesavers, they don't. They know they don't work. That they, they, they don't want them. They have enough shark alarms go off inside the nets to know that they're stupid, but they don't work. So, um, uh, no one wants them. The problem is the decision to remove them is in one person's hands. The minister for fisheries in both states, Queensland and New South Wales, and that person in both states. Across both sides of government, so this is not about Liberal or Labor, is terrified to make that decision. They're scared. They're scared to remove the nets, which is clearly the right decision. Science says so. Community says so. Everything says so. Because if they remove them and then a shark incident occurs at that beach, which happens anyway, which happens while the nets are in the water, people get bitten by sharks at netted beaches fairly regularly. But if it happens after that politician's made that decision to move the nets... Uh, they know it'll be on their head politically, and and unfortunately they're right. You know what I mean. The, the other the other side of politics quite quite um, quite possibly will take the opportunity to demonise them and villainise them and score score some political points. The media, especially certain types of mainstream media that like the fear mongering side of things, they will definitely. That's the reason why shark nets are still in the water. No other reason. There, there is not a single other fact or justification or reason why they're still in the water other than one person in, in each state who just won't sign on the dotted line that they need to to do the right thing yeah. in new south wales yeah we had a minister that kept going on about the statistic that since the nets were up we haven't had a fatality since 1951 in new south wales and it unfortunately changed in february earlier this year but um he kept quoting that statistic if you go on Shark Files, um, I think it's on um, the Australian Museum website, and you can download a history of shark attacks in Australia. I think it's uh, it's in the 60s, but 60% of shark attacks since 1951 have occurred on nested beaches. There just hasn't been a fatality. And um, a stronger argument for why that's the case is that nets are typically deployed on more popular beaches where you have access to lifeguards and medical treatment um, quite quickly. So the fact that these things are doing anything to prevent shark attacks is silly. The statistics speak for themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like what's needed is basically education of the general public so that the pressure is released a bit or like um, there's a bit of a pressure relief for um, the politicians in power to make this decision. And Andre, that's exactly what you did, or both of you in your campaigns, but Andre with your movie or the documentary Envoy Shark Kill, you um, presented this to the public, the movie or the documentary also uh, made it into the cinemas. And please tell us a bit about um, what was your hope, what the movie, the impact the movie would achieve and um, what do you think was achieved in the end by so many people watching it? Look, I wanted to expose what was going on to educate. So it's, it's quite simple. Most people don't know the truth about these nets. We already discussed that. They think it's a barrier, it's not. The other thing, the other thing people don't realise is, is how much stuff it kills, just how many animals it kills all up and down the east coast of Australia, that it's an intentional program to reduce the populations of sharks. People don't realise all those things. And I, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't either. I grew, up in, I grew up in Brisbane, went to the Gold Coast, went to the Sunshine Coast regularly for uh, uh, school holidays. And um, 
you know, until I became a diver and became quite uh, more aware of marine conservation issues, I didn't even know this program ran. So it was really about making more people aware. And, and it was my firm belief that once people were aware, they wouldn't stand for it. They wouldn't accept it. They wouldn't be okay. Uh, they wouldn't be okay with it. And they would apply pressure for change. And, and to an extent, I, th I think that definitely is working and has happened, you know, um, it, it, it could, you know, could have had a bigger impact and there'd been more outrage and we could have already won this campaign. Sure, probably if a few stars had, had aligned and had gone, you know, a little bit more, I don't know, viral seaspiracy style, I guess. I know there's obviously some question marks over that scientifically, but still it went very, very viral. So look, um, has it achieved what, I, what I'd hoped it to? Definitely. Um, it's just, it's a little bit more of a slow grind than I guess my absolute dream scenario would have been which is it goes viral there's outrage there's protests on the beaches and politicians go oh shit we better change this um but uh i always aim for the moon <laughs> and uh and i still think it's doing a very very good job of uh changing opinions and kind of winning hearts and minds yeah awesome i watched the movie and um yeah it was definitely very impressive and uh, did convey the message very well so um i hope or do you think that it might also have changed the perception of the media a bit because we talked about this before there might be two are there like I guess three uh, parties involved we have politicians we talked about then we have the general public but all we also have the media right who have a very strong voice and who influence the uh, public as well I, I've definitely seen a shift. I've definitely seen a shift both in the language media use and the way that media report on on uh, this issue or on uh, things like shark bites that are obviously uh, very related to this issue. I've definitely seen a change there, but also in the comments sections, you know, when the media do a story on this and post about it, I, I'm seeing a shift. More people are saying facts that weren't common knowledge uh, but are starting to become, these things are stupid. They don't even go to the bottom anyway. These things are dumb. But, you know, sharks can swim over, under, and around them, which is, you know, kind of language we use in the film and stuff like that. So definitely more media are calling it what it is, calling a spade a spade, which is a cull. It's there to catch and kill sharks. Not all of them, but more. Uh, more media are reporting that they're not a barrier and that, you know, they're, they're, they're a hazard in that way. And, and I, I think definitely in comments sections, I, th I think there's a shift. I think there's a movement. It's, it's not all us. Other organisations have been campaigning this space for a long time. Um, you know, Duncan, Duncan's campaign in, in Bondi, Humane Society International, Uh, on the northern beaches, well, they, they campaign Australia-wide, but they're based on the northern beaches. Um, sea Shepherd, the, the, so there's others working in the space. I'm not meaning to take credit for it all, but um, do I see a shift? Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Andre, before we um, continue with the shark nets as such, do you want to tell us a bit about your own background? So you mentioned you're a diver yourself, You're based in Queensland, um, but you don't have a background in biology or anything like that. How did you get into this area of um, protecting sharks? Yeah, a, a long winding road, I guess. Uh, so I always loved sharks as a kid. I loved, you know, going to an aquarium where you can go in that, you know, that Perspex tunnel and, and go, be underneath them. Uh, you know, I had an inflatable uh, shark toy to, to play with in the pool as a kid. Like I, I always just liked sharks and marine animals in general. You know, I loved the free willy that, you know, the, the, the orca get, got freed and all those kinds of things. So I think I just always had a, had a soft spot or a fasc fascination with the ocean. Um, and then, and then I guess, 
you know, teenage years, your interests change. And then as soon as I was late teens, uh, I finished school. I went to, I went to uni, did a business degree. Uh, I was working in my dad's business. Um, we kind of grew that together. Uh, then I went off and started my own businesses and so on and so forth. And, uh, and then it was when I started diving sort of in my mid twenties that I became aware of this issue and many other issues. And I just got really kind of annoyed about it, agitated about it, like frustrated that these things are happening. Um, and it started by just donating to organizations and trying to help their campaigns. And then eventually I thought there's got to be like, there's got to be more, what, what more could I do? And I'd recently, like a year before that, I'd started a video production company with a, with a buddy of mine. Um, cause I didn't already have enough businesses on my plate, apparently in my head. Uh, and, and then as soon as, you know, eventually I'm like, I kind of connected the dots. I went, hang on video production ability over here, uh, resource I can draw on this problem I care about over here. Maybe it needs to be exposed. So that's kind of how it came about. And, and I guess it came about through very pragmatic thinking. Um, the reason, you know, in, in my business career, why I've started businesses is when something annoys me, you know what I mean? There's a gap in a market. It's like, that's so frustrating. Like, why can't that be done better? Or why is that done that way? That's really annoying, you know, to the consumer. Um, and you try and fill that gap. And I guess that's what I tried to do here, really, which is I could see organizations campaigning in this space. I could see stubborn governments not wanting to do anything. And I was like, this is annoying. This is annoying me. What can I do about it? And I don't know why I just gravitated towards a documentary that could educate um, and expose what's going on as being the way to, I guess, fix that problem or contribute to fixing that problem. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the shortish version of it. And, and uh, yeah, a, a little while, what is it, a year a yearish now since the documentary's come out, um, campaigning now. So the second phase, one phase one was make the film. Phase two is try and campaign along with those other organisations and stand with them kind of shoulder to shoulder. And uh, here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's great that you have this, like, multitude of skills bringing into this campaign into this area that is I feel like that's fairly rare and um, that's super valuable that's awesome that's great work um, so yeah you mentioned your um, you mentioned the coalition so your foundation is part of this coalition of multiple conservation and environmental groups called Nets Out Now and um, some of you have already mentioned them, some of the organizations involved are really well known, including Sea Shepherd and International Humane Society. What is the coalition's goal? The coalition's goal is basically to, to amplify this campaign uh, from where it currently stands even more, uh, work in a, in a slightly more uni united way, uh, sing from the same hymn book and get the result quicker. So I think all of these organizations are doing great, great work in this space. Um, but, you know, by working together more, can we accelerate the end result? The end result is coming. These, these, these nets, uh, these nets, the days are numbered, you know, it's just, will it be in one year or will it be in 10 years? But at some point they're gone because nothing backs them. Like we said before, no science, no community, nothing. So the, 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 the end is nigh. We just want to accelerate that and make that now. So, uh, yeah, that's the goal of the campaign is, is to transition these programs from lethal measures killing sharks to non-lethal measures, spotting sharks, keeping sharks out of the area, tracking sharks, whatever it might be, um, as a way of keeping bathers safe. It's, it's, it's as simple as that and doing it in the shortest time possible. What is the strategy to achieve that goal? 
So uh, there's there's obviously still a lot of awareness that needs to happen. Um, the film has helped, but there's still a lot of awareness needs to happen. So that's one, I guess, one prong of our approach. Uh, and then what comes after awareness is action. So uh, really everything's building towards what worked in Western Australia in 2014, where they briefly, briefly, briefly tried a culling program. They tried to implement a culling program and there was outrage. There was outrage about it and it stopped because it was new and it was novel. The problem we have, we have with these programs is they're not new and they're not novel and they've been around for such a long time and they're kind of accepted. Uh, and, and that outrage in Western Australia and what stopped it is, is protests, like Seven, eight thousand people, I think, they had on the beach in Cottesloe protesting these kinds of uh, th these kinds of measures or the trial they were doing over there. Uh, so that's really what we're building towards. Like we have petitions, we have a way for you to write to your local minister and object to these things and ask them what their stance is and what they're going to do about it. Um, like we have all these other tools, but what's really, really building towards is thousands of people on a beach sending such a deafeningly loud message that we're not okay with this and it needs to stop now because it worked in western australia uh and i think it can work here it just uh it, it's just a little bit harder work here because uh yeah it's, it's very 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 ingrained and accepted and 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 there's so many misnomers around it i think it was very clear what they were doing in western australia catching killing sharks and it was on the news every night and there was blood running off the back deck of the boat of the tiger shark they just shot in the head and it was all very visual uh, whereas this is much more hidden. So it, it's a little bit harder work, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, that sounds great. And um, Duncan, back to you. So in New South Wales, um, yeah, New South Wales has been working with the smart drum lines and drone surveys for quite a while. Um, how, is this, how is this currently, um, how are those strategies working? Like, is it going well? And maybe you can also briefly tell us what or remind us what smart drum lines exactly are and what they do. Drum lines, so traditional drum lines is a baited hook and it's the idea was that it would catch a shark and that shark would get stuck to that hook and um, invariably it died. What they're trying to do with smart drum lines is when a shark bites, they put a piece of mullet on a drum line, it gets deployed. Um, there's actually about five sitting off Bondo. Well, not at the moment because of the heavy rains and swell, but um, whenever, whenever there's reasonably sunny days and um, moderate swell, they will deploy these things. They've actually accelerated that program now. Um, but what these smart drum lines are, is it's, it's the same principle with a, with a buoy and a baited hook and an anchor point. Um, and these things have to be deployed and picked up each day. And the idea is that if a, if a shark bites, it gets, um, it pings a signal and the contractors will go out and they have to then determine, is it a targeted species of shark or is it um, one of the, um, hundreds of harmless species that can also get caught on that thing. Um, if it's a harmless species of shark, they release it on the spot. And if it's one of the, the species they consider a targeted species, it gets towed out to sea and tagged. There's, um, I've chosen, at least with the Bondi campaign, to focus on the nets. Um, I'm certainly against traditional drum lines and the smart drum lines. I just don't know enough. And I don't know if we know enough information about the stress that the animals go through when they hooked. So sure, theoretically, they're released alive. Um, but for an animal being stuck there, um, a shark's a very, very powerful animal. If it's hooked and swimming in circles around an anchor point, um, I don't know what that trauma eventually does to that animal. And you couple that with then tying it to the side of the boat and 
towing it a kilometer out to sea or however far they take it. Um, they they claim that the that the survival rate is quite high, but I don't know how much information we know on that. So, um, but we do also know that certain species of shark are more affected by the stress. So we've read anecdotal stuff around great whites might not be all that fussed about it, but species like hammerhead and that get extremely stressed by that um, type of activity happening to them. So we, we just don't understand their mortality rate as well. And also it, it doesn't, it, it's still, from my point of view, my, I wanted to focus on the nets because I thought that's the greater evil here. It 90% of what's caught there is non-targeted. The, the drumline still from time to time will hook something strange, but generally it's a shark. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to DPI in um, a couple of months ago, and so since that last shark attack in um, in February, they that they really accelerated that that program. New South Wales budget put um, New South Wales decided to spend twenty million on their shark program, and so you've seen boy lines pop up all over the place now. Um, and when I asked them, because I was interested in what they were catching, because they deployed one of them right on top of a um, an aggregation site for grey nurse. And so I spoke to them about that um, and they said that in the two months they've been deployed here in the eastern suburbs that they had caught about six dusky whalers, which are totally harmless little sharks, um, and one small tiger. Uh, the other aspect of the drum lines, you mentioned that they are contractors in charge of checking those drum lines. Is there any, do you have any information about if they actually reliably check those drum lines as they should? So... Yes, the contractors check the drum lines. Contractors also check the nets. We're not entirely sure on um, how frequently they check the nets because they have to go out every 72 hours for those. Um, it's a bit, um, when they put monitoring on it, the year that they did that, um, they got a lot more data back. So there was a suggestion that they weren't doing it as frequently as um, as when they weren't monitored. Um, with the drum lines, <clears throat> excuse me, they have to be deployed in the morning and picked up in the afternoon. So they don't get left there at all. They get cleared up every night. Um, we actually sit here and watch them move around. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, that's really good. Um, Andre, back to you. Um, so Queensland is following suit now. So they're trialing those new, or well, fairly new strategies, the smart drum lines and uh, drone surveying as well. Um, first of all, why are they so behind since New South Wales has been doing it for a while? And how's it going for them? <laughs> uh, the million dollar question why are they so behind um because queensland i think <laughs> i could say that as a queenslander i don't know they're just um they are literally a decade behind uh or, or if not more on this and a lot of other things uh but look you're right i don't want to give too much credit here but yes they are they are doing very small trials of drones, very small trials of, of smart drum lines or what they call catch and release drum lines. But, um, you know, some of these things are things that they don't need to trial. You know, they bang this drum of we won't, we won't replace nets or traditional drum lines, lethal drum lines, uh, until there are alternatives suitable for Queensland conditions. Um, and, and that's just, you know, that line is just to play to the average Queenslander. Like, yeah our sharks are different or whatever they think. Um, so uh, some of these things don't need to be trialed. Just roll them out. Enough with the trials. Like it's, work, it's worked in other areas of the world. It's worked just across the border. Just use it. Um, but yeah, it is encouraging to see movement. So I will give credit there. Having said that, they still have literally almost 400 lethal drum lines in the water, traditional lethal drum lines. And that is catch 
shark probably dies because it's only checked every 48 hours. And if a shark doesn't die and the contractor gets there, uh, then uh, they will shoot it in the head or stab it in the head. So there's still nearly 400 of those in the water and there's still nearly, uh, how many is it? It's 20, uh, 26 nets, I believe, 26 or 27 nets that are still in the water in Queensland. And these are year round, you know what I mean? Uh, like they're just there killing stuff every single day. So very, very behind, I think is the key takeaway. A little bit of movement, but don't, don't definitely don't go heap praise on them. Uh, but uh, it's nice to see something because two years ago you know prior to the film coming out there, there wasn't any anything anything uh so again not to take sole credit for it i'm just using that to give an example timing wise so uh yeah we're starting to see stuff and it's it's positive but um yeah it's hard to give too much credit to a program that's that's still got 400 i think it's 407 pieces of equipment nets and drum lines combined 400 pieces, 407 pieces of equipment in the water year round that's literally designed to catch and kill everything that moves. Yeah, so it sounds like there is hope, but um, it's evolving very slowly. Um, I feel like I need to point out here that um, talking about the technicalities is one thing, but when you describe that the sharks get hooked on the, yeah, on the drum lines and then they are there for 48 hours at least, and um, a lot of them die when it's a non-smart drum line, that's also quite cruel, isn't it? Like it's not just the outcome that sharks die and it re reduces the population, but it's also just really cruel to be hooked to something and then having to swim in circles till you die, like, you don't wish that on anyone. When you look at when you look at it on a spreadsheet, because they're essentially what each animal killed in this program is reduced to is a line on a spreadsheet. So they 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 keep all their catch and kill data. Where did it happen? What day did it happen? What time did it happen? What species was it? How long was it? Male, female? Was it pregnant? What was in its stomach, etc. Th that life is boiled down to a line on the spreadsheet, and that just doesn't do it justice. You're quite right. You need to picture what actually happened there which is swimming in circles struggling stressed freaked out dying for whatever period of time maybe maybe the animal was lucky i don't know if that's the right term that the contractor happened to turn up in that process of swimming around in circles with a hook in your mouth and dragging a chain uh the contractor turned up during that process and dragged you out of your home uh, up into the air, the deck of a boat and then stabbed you in the head. Like that's the reality of this program. So it's, it's easy to sanitize it and, and talk about it in data and in a very, yeah, I guess um, uh, clinical way. But the reality is these beautiful animals, some of them are critically endangered uh, uh, that just get, get either hooked and die, hooked or wrapped in a net, one or the other die a slow, painful death or, shot or stabbed in the head by a government contractor that's the reality yeah what's sure. interesting to note is i managed to get some access um to the data so you got these things they're called smart boys that float out they're like a yellow looking thing out in in sydney of bondi you can see one of these things and what that does it's it's like a receiver that will ping if a tag shark swims within a a certain radius of it it'll send a signal i managed to get the data points off that for about a year ago and and then it tells you, it doesn't tell you what type of shark, but it tells you the idea of the shark. Um, and what was really interesting about that was I'm in the water as often as I can be in Bondi during the week before work, sometimes lunchtimes if I'm working from home, that kind of thing. And there's this one great white that was swimming around for a period of a month before it moved on. And it had pinged that beacon something like six or 700 times. 
I don't remember an alarm going off. I didn't get any notifications or see any the lifeguards kicking off on the beach. They're so worried about sharks, but yet they've got information where they can actually tell that there's a great white swimming around back and forth in Bondi. And then I went back into my like my folder structure and compared it with like images of when I was in the water and going like, oh, a couple of times that day when we took that picture, there was a gray white about 50 meters away. <laughs> So there's yeah it, this whole thing like we can't take the nets away they're keeping people safe we've got known gray whites pinging the beaches and no one's saying hey get out get out the water they realize that sharks are just part of the environment and they're going to be there anyway and it's not the just because there's a shark there it's going to come and automatically eat everybody um, I was yep. curious. I was curious on this, so I asked DPI. I said, "Hey, your listening stations you've got, and you you can get you have an app, the Shark Smart app on your phone, where you you can see those pings Duncan's talking about." And and I messaged DPI and I said, "Hey, what's what's the on beach protocol? If there's a listening station at Bondi and the Bondi receiver pings with a with a white or a tiger or a bull, what they consider dangerous sharks, um, what's the on beach protocol?" And the answer is none. There isn't one. The lifeguards, unless they happen to have that app installed as well, the lifeguards aren't notified, at least by DPI. Um, there's no protocol to put a drone up. There's no protocol to clear the water. Nothing, nothing. So it's cool data and it's interesting. Like I have the app on my phone because I find it interesting. Like what 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 areas are sharky at the moment? What areas aren't sharky at the moment? What's going on? What's ping where? I find it interesting. But as a beach safety tool, yeah, I mean they're not they're not feeding that data back to lifeguards than for lifeguards to do anything with it. So it's interesting. Yeah. It just seems like there is a yeah a, a link missing. Somebody to write the service. I'm I'm a software engineer. A link missing. Somebody looking at this data and then writing um, have, give something to the to the lifeguards that actually like lights up a red light on on the dashboard of the of the towers. What they did do recently, which I actually found quite good, is it, it's always only been a mobile phone app. And the criticism was obviously who's got their phone while they're out there surfing. Like, you know, that's, that's of, no, and of no value. Um, uh, but the, to their credit, they recently released an released um, Apple Watch version of the app. Yeah. So you now technically could, which is a slight improvement, um, you now technically could be out there searching with your, uh, uh, surfing with your Apple Watch which I know a few of the surfers wear, like Tom Carroll wears his. He's, um, he's got this app on there that tracks each ride you get and how long the ride was and all this sort of stuff. So surfers do wear Apple Watches. And um, uh, now you can have your SharkSmart app on there as well. And if you're at Bondi and you get a ping that is a great wide in Bondi, maybe you want to think about getting out of the water. So that's an improvement. But the fact that they just don't have lifesavers in the loop is odd. It speaks volumes. <laughs> we have to wrap up soon, but um, before we do that, um, what other strategies and technologies are out there that are a good alternative to the um, shark nets? Look, in the film, we feature this. It wasn't originally part of the film. I just wanted to expose what was going on and kind of drop the mic and roll end credits kind of thing. Uh, but I got convinced by quite a few people that, no, you've got to provide solutions. Otherwise, it's all just doom and gloom. So some of the solutions that we feature in the film are um, the sh shark barriers, an actual bottom of the sea floor up to the surface uh, creates like a box for whatever shape you want to make it for people to swim in. Uh, similar to a stinger net in Northern Queensland that keeps the stingers out, uh, but designed for sharks. Doesn't entangle anything, doesn't kill anything. It's a, it's a rigid barrier that actually does what people think shark nets are 
I'm in here, sharks out there, everything's happy days. So they're really, really good. They have a limitation in what uh, conditions they can be um, deployed in, but they're really good principle. Then there's a sort of semi-barrier solution, which is, uh, it's not a solid barrier. It is it is uh, seafloor to surface, but it more mimics kelp. So it's long, tall strands of uh, basically plastic pipes with magnets in them as well. Uh, so if sharks do come near them, they don't like to swim through kelp anyway. Uh, but if they were to go near them, these magnets then op- overwhelm their ampullae of Lorenzini uh, and shark will turn and go away. So there's two types of barriers you can have. What New South Wales has really heavily leaned into, which I love, is drones. Drones are so good at, you know, you, you top down, you can see straight through the water, um, easily see the silhouette of a shark, easily see the silhouette of a shark, uh, even identify what species it is and go, oh, it's a grey nurse, don't worry about it, um, or go, oh, that's a great white, maybe we should do something here. Uh, so that's a fantastic solution as well. Then there's all sorts of other things you can do and take, take safety into your own hands as well. Um, so there's shark shields that you can oh, wear. Sorry, you- just a, a quick question about the drone survey. Yeah. Uh, who actually operates the drones? Is that the lifeguards themselves or? That is the lifeguards. Yes. They put that in the hands of lifesavers. And the funny thing about this is not the funny thing, but the interesting thing is a shark spotting drone will save more lives by spotting drowning victims than it will by spotting sharks because drowning is the far bigger risk on beaches in Australia. Far more people die from drowning than from, from a shark incident. And and shark spotting drones often provide value by saving drowning victims far more than they spot sharks. Uh, uh, and and um, you can also go hover above that victim as well and that, that gives them comfort that someone spotted me. Oh, I can see the drones here and they calm down. So there's so much value to shark spotting drones other than spotting sharks. So I love the drone solution. I really do. Uh, and then there's personal things you can wear, electrical deterrents that you can wear on your leg that emit an electric field. Shark doesn't like the electric field. It gets freaked out and goes away. Um, you can wear, you know, camouflage wetsuits, camouflage sticker on the bottom of your surfboard if you're a surfer that are remarkably effective. Like if you're looking... A, up at a surfer using some of these products you pretty much can't see them really really cool stuff uh there's shark bite resistant wetsuits as well that are made out of a special composite material neoprene and something else uh that shark teeth have a harder time getting through so so many things we can be doing so many things and probably the most important thing is training and resources so trauma kits in the hands of surf lifesavers. Because as Duncan touched on at the very, very start, that's what's saving lives. The reason the fatality rate has dropped from shark bite incidents is not shark nets. The same number of people are getting bitten that used to get bitten. They're literally achieving nothing. But what's stopping it is getting to that victim faster, tying a tourniquet around that victim's arm or leg faster and stopping the bleeding that's what's saving lives and putting those resources in the hands of the right people. That's what's going to save even more lives in future. I've never seen a shark net tie a tourniquet. (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. Cool. So um, yeah, we have to wrap up now, but um, please tell us if um, our listeners are interested now and are like, oh, that sounds like a really good course. I would like to get involved or at least support your mission. What can they do? 
Well, our initiative is fairly small and it's targeted in Bondi. So what we're deliberately trying to do is to support larger, more uh, national campaigns like the one Andre's running. So if you live in the eastern suburbs in Bondi, we do have a website called Saving Norman with links to um, a change.org survey, which is now up to about 11,000 supporters. Um, but I would say from our point of view, the biggest thing you can do is just talk about this issue with people because people need to know. Even people that support our campaign are surprised to find out that the net's on barriers. So they've heard they're bad, they've heard they're destructive, but they still think they're barriers. So help us with the education program. That sounds good. Just nerd out your friends about what shark nets are. I love that. Andre, what about your, your campaign? Yeah, look, I, I would say watch the film. It's on Stan, uh, the streaming platform. So go go search Envoy on there and you'll no doubt find it. Uh, then after that, there's call to actions at the end of the film. Uh, but the short version is go to envoyfilm.com.au forward slash act now. And that has all the actions on there. You can sign a petition. You can send an email to your politician. You can sign up for protests and paddle outs. So that's a good one as well. Uh, and then the third one is support the coalition as well. Uh, so the, the coalition is... Uh, Envoy, as in the film, and also the way we campaign, uh, can be a little combative at times uh, in terms of we tell the truth, like no filter. Um, the Nets Out Now campaign is is much, you know, it's 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 much softer. It's it's more educational. Bring the whole community along, educate, so on, so on and so forth. It's got really beautiful artwork that's not confrontational. Uh, Envoy uses a lot of imagery of dead animals. Uh, the Nets Out Now campaign has has had artwork done by this amazing local artist. Um, so yeah, go check out Nets Out Now campaign. Go check out Envoy film, and uh, yeah, take all the actions, do everything you can because we need all the support we can. And uh, yeah, the the marine wildlife will be thankful for it, and uh, the beaches will be safer for it as well when we put some proper solutions in place. That sounds awesome, and um, we will add all the links to both of your campaigns and the coalition on the on our Facebook um, post uh, for this episode so people can click on it and get there directly. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time and chatting about your campaigns. I think it's really important and great work. So please, um, yeah, um, keep working on that. And, um, yeah, awesome, awesome job. So thanks so much, Andre, for being on the show. Thank and, you for uh, having me. It was great. Thank you, Duncan, as well. And good luck for saving Norman. Absolute pleasure. Thanks again. This was Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. And we will be back with a new science story next week. Bye for now. Trouble, blood is in the rocky waters. Out of way your sons and daughters eat you alive. Levels, better put your head on swivels. Dancing with the very devil, butter tonight. You think you're better than them, better than them. You think they're really your friends, really your friends. But when it comes to the end, to the end, you're just the same as them, same as them. Struggles, hiding your tears. Crisis, take a 
advantage of your niceness Cut you up in even slices Prey on your feet Right in front of me Don't take it from me I could be everything Everything 